Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And Caroline, I hope that this isn't uh, too forward of a question to ask you in a public forum. But Oh, gosh. I mean, do you think that we're each other's work wives? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think so. Yeah. We, We... Work closely together. We see each other outside of work. Uh, if anything weird is happening at work, we're probably going to take a walk and talk about it. We go pick up coffee together. We go downstairs and shop at J. Crew together. We have, thanks to you, matching angry liberal feminist killjoy coffee mugs. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if we can get much work wifier than we are now. No, I'm, I, we're the wifiest. <laughs> So basically, this podcast should just be called Work Wives. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome back. But not Sister Wives. No. 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 Yeah, we get a lot of confused listeners. Different topic. Mm. <laughs> so I was really interested to read about the whole work-spouse relationship because there are so many ways that it you can cut it, whether it is like a really close work friend or the work wife who or work husband who might make your actual wife or husband nervous Yeah, or make your coworkers nervous. Um, I love workplace relationship chats. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I do think that there are some things and we'll talk about this that can certainly complicate a work spouse relationship. A lot of those things do have to do with if your sexual orientations match each other's. Caroline, um, mine's do not. Don't. No. Um, at my last job, well, I mean, aside from dude roommate, who's like my life work spouse. And he's, by, your, he's your life wife. Uh, yeah, he is. Um, I did have another work spouse who is a gay man. And so that takes off any like potential conflict or jealousy with a partner. Although when all we want to do is spend time together, I guess that there's a little bit of jealousy. But then you've also got to worry, too, about, you know, do other coworkers feel excluded? Do they feel like they're being left out? Is your work spouse possibly casting you in a negative light by association? I know. You're just going around spewing terrible things out of your mouth part. That's going (laughs) to reflect badly on the person you spend all your time with. Yeah, like when, when Matt and I ran around our old office putting googly eyes on everything. I mean, well, we were doing that together. So we reflected poorly on each other. <laughs> yeah, I'm just imagining like if Billy Eichner from uh, Billy on the Street were your were your work wife uh cuz he's just so so loud, always yelling. No, I was and angry. the one. I was the one at my last job who got in trouble for being loud. Uh I did have the the boss, like the boss boss come in to the break room and tell me that my laugh carried. <clears throat> so well, I hope you responded. Actually, it doesn't carry. It Caroline's. <laughs> <laughs> Don't call uh, me Carrie. I'll fire myself now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so uh, before we get to our, our work spouse situation in our millennial mm. workplaces, mm-hmm. why don't we talk a little bit about how it used to be because actually, you know, the whole work spouse thing, or at least like work bestie is less common than it was. Yeah. Which to me almost feels counterintuitive because I feel like we spend so much more time working. The 40 hour work week is something that I aspire to. Yeah. 
Um, and, and you know, when you, when you work in those kind of nebulous creative and digital fields, your work is never done. And also you can do it anytime at any place. And so there is that issue of 24 seven connectivity as well. Um, but yeah, we were looking at one study that showed, and this is something cited by Adam Grant in the New York Times. But yeah, the study showed that in 1985, about half of Americans said they had a close friend at work. And by 2004, this was true for only 30 percent. And that's crazy. With how much time we spend working, why don't we have more work friends? And we even see that stat reflected in younger people's expectations of their work environment and what their work friendship situation is going to be. So in that same study that Grant cited uh, in 2006, just 41 percent of American high school seniors uh, thought that it was very important to find a job where they could make friends. That had been 54 percent in 1976, because even though we're spending more time at work, we're I don't know, we're just like efficiency machines or something. Oh, God, I think it's the opposite. Um, I think us spending more time at work is less efficient. Yeah. But let's now refer people to our bossed up episode That's right. with guest Emily Aries for more on that. Um, but to me, it does make sense that we have deprioritized work friendships because our entire approach to work and the, the workplace in general has changed so much for uh, people in our generation and obviously will continue changing for younger folks as well. Because for one, Long-term employment is no longer the aspirational goal where you will work at X company for 40 years. They'll give you your knockoff Rolex. <laughs> I was about to say a Rolodex. I'll <laughs> give you a Rolodex. I mean, you could and, wear that on your wrist. Yeah, it'd be like a neat little bracelet. Heavy. Look at my charm bracelet of despair. <laughs> but of course, that's not reality anymore. I mean, as soon as the recession hit, I, I feel like we millennials... Do not expect to be in jobs typically more than like five years. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, you've got the the positive and negative side of that. Like we as a generation want to do the thing that makes us happy. We want to chase down happiness. We're not tied. We don't feel like we need to be loyal to a company for 50 years. It's not one of our top priorities. Instead, it's us, us, us all the time. Tapping into our passions, Caroline. Right. Passion jobs. And yeah, I mean, we, you know, I was at my first job out of college for four years amid the recession and I couldn't really leave while that was happening because I knew I wouldn't be able to get a job. But once I did, catapulted right out of there. Yeah, I've been at How Stuff Works going on uh, eight years. So you're almost at that gold uh, Rolodex. Yeah, I've almost got a gold. <laughs> for a millennial. Yeah, a gold Rolodex. And yeah, if my job were a child, it would be uh, in late elementary school. Like, yeah. <sighs> and packing its own lunch. So that's good. Yeah. I mean, you know? mom ain't got time for that. Yeah, at least it's a little, a little uh, less hands on. Um, but in addition to the fact that we don't necessarily stick around in one place, we, we job hop in ways like never before. Teleworking also means less face-to-face communication. Although I do feel like while I I don't interface with people all that often in my job, because I do telework, you and I both telework fairly often, but thanks to Slack, Gchat, and mm-hmm. text 
ing texting. I think that's what they call it, texting. <laughs> we are always still communicating. Yeah, exactly. And one study did show that, and this was a huge study, that as long as you were in the office at least two and a half days a week, and that applies to us, uh, it won't have a negative effect on your work relationships. You know, you'll still have, you can still be buddy-buddy with people at work, just maybe not have a work spouse per se. Yeah, I don't think that our work Boston marriage has suffered from... <laughs> Or teleworking. No, no, not by any means. Um, you've also got the issue of social media allowing us to remain connected with old friends, college friends, whatever. So perhaps there is less of a drive, especially if you're just at work, keeping your head down, working for the weekend, because you know that, you know, when you get to that weekend, you'll probably be able to visit with friends that you've been able to keep up with on the Internet. And I'm wondering with all of this keeping our heads down and working for the weekend, you know, I wouldn't ever accuse the millennial generation of having a Protestant work ethic (laughs) per se. But I mean, we do have lingering aspects of that in order to make it to the vacation, to make it to the long holiday weekend or whatever. And of course, you know, if you're wondering what the Protestant work ethic is and you've been under a rock for hundreds of years. Uh, it comes from Martin Luther preaching that hard work in any occupation was a meaningful duty. It was a calling from God. And then John Calvin of, you know, Calvinism. Uh, not took, Calvin Klein. Not Calvin Klein. Mm. Yeah. John Calvin Klein. But you could argue that John Calvin's underwear were the original Calvin's. The original sin. Oh, uh, yeah. So Calvin argued that people needed to avoid socializing while working because you've got to put all of your attention and effort into fulfilling God's will through your work. And so, you know, let's gloss over a whole bunch of history and condense a bunch of stuff into a really simplistic statement, which is basically like uh, white Protestant guys were the one have been the ones in power forever in this country. And they're the ones who are the CEOs of offices traditionally. And so you have this ingrained culture of put your head down and get your work done. But what more recent research is finding, and I think what uh, newer companies are facilitating is how jobs are more satisfying when they provide social opportunities. You know, I mean, just think about the Googleplex and all of the amenities that it has you know, for whether it is like free sushi. My mind just always goes to the sushi. I want that Google sushi so badly. Um, but they'll have, you know, like video game rooms where you and your, you know, programmers can go chillax and play some uh, duck hunt. I clearly have never been to, in that space before. Kristen, Kristen's actually never left the house before. <laughs> yeah. We're communicating. This is all via the magic of, of the Internet that we're communicating. Um, yeah. But I mean, even that goes back to what you were saying about more time spent at work isn't necessarily more efficient. I mean, I think giving people those perks at work to make them happier is important and it creates a happier workspace, which logically or so the logic goes should make them better workers. But if we are just working for the weekend with like our twisted millennial, so to speak, Protestant work ethic, you know, if we're not taking the time to form those friendships and to enjoy duck hunt and sushi at work, then we won't be as happy as we could be. That's what researchers argue. Uh, also, those are my new like that's that is my work life balance goal <laughs> is some duck hunt and sushi. 
Yeah. At my job. Just a regular Tuesday afternoon. That's all I ask. <laughs> what is not my work-life balance goal, nor anyone's, I don't I don't know that anyone actually likes this, is the toxic work environment. Yeah. And so to further drive home, which is what we're going to be doing throughout this podcast, to further drive home the importance of having that positive, healthy work environment, we need to look at a study that came out in 2015 from recruiting firm Cornerstone On Demand and Northwestern University that looked into what being part of a toxic work environment does for us. Because as much as a happy work environment can contribute to our productivity, toxic work environments, as anyone who's ever had a job out there can attest to, that really takes away from our productivity. So the study found that 3 to 5% of all employees are fired for toxic behavior-related reasons. Or I guess it's 3 to 5% of all employees who are fired, mm-hmm. not just like, Kristen, today it's you because you're, cause you're toxic. <laughs> um, and those reasons could be things like misconduct, even drug or alcohol ab- abuse on the job, sexual harassment. And to have a, a toxic coworker. And I have worked with someone at an old job who did abuse substances at the office. And trust me, it made things a little tense. Uh, that toxic behavior does increase the likelihood that their colleagues will themselves then engage in toxic BS, basically, because maybe they feel resentful or they just feel threatened or something. Uh, or they'll just quit. So that the way that your environment is shaped and feels at work absolutely affects Everybody and having friends at work, even if they're not best friends, but for sure, if you have a work spouse or two, because again, we're getting into sister work spouses. Oh, uh, a little polygamy. I know. Work polygamy. Work polygamy. Uh, that can contribute to helping people want to stay. Yeah. And maybe providing a buffer from yeah. that toxicity, because as anyone who has worked in a toxic environment knows it spreads like a virus. It does. Yeah, it's so quickly. It doesn't take much. I uh my first job out of college was at the newspaper and you know, I came on staff with such, you know, a glimmer in my eye, like so excited, uh totally naive. Um and one of the first people I met was this woman who, you know, came off as very nice and funny and welcoming and then it just our relationship and I came to find out that it was her relationship with Everyone became one of those toxic relationships because she loved to gossip. She loved to uh, pit people against each other. It was just really unhealthy. But it, I watched, and I can especially see it now looking back, watched as it just infected everybody because it's hard to escape that negativity. Well, and that brings us back to the positive role of a work spouse or just a work bestie if spouse feels like too much of a commitment, you know, to say. <laughs> um, so this research is coming from 2013 in the European Business Review uh, because we are continental yeah. like that. Like croissants. Yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> we are the croissants of podcasters. Um, so researchers have consistently found that employees who are friendlier work well together No big surprise. And a link has also been found between relationship factors like cooperation and social support and team productivity. So basically, like nice people 
work better together and more productively together. Exactly. Not to say there's anything wrong with like the occasional like lunch break kvetching session, but when people who work together genuinely like each other, I think it it definitely adds to the environment. And plus, people who say they have friends at work, according to this research, are happier on the job. They report higher satisfaction, more cohesion, more commitment to the company and less intention to leave. Even though, as we were talking about earlier, getting that gold watch or for millennials, gold Rolodex is totally antiquated. But it does make it a little bit emotionally anyway, a little bit harder to leave when you are. BFFs or in a work spouse type relationship with someone because because you don't want to let them down. You know, I remember when dude roommate was leaving his old job, you know, he was he was going to be making a better, more positive step for himself career wise. But he did feel connected to so many of his work friends and you don't want to leave them holding the bag. But I mean, eventually, you know, you've got to take the job that's better for you and hopefully your work spouse is supportive well yeah it's just so much time spent together too all the emotional ups and downs of the workplace i know like who's bringing in lunch are you gonna get food poisoning from the work potluck and if you work at dunder mifflin for instance it's always you know who's dating who this week you know did dwight put (laughs) jim's sandwich in a funny place (laughs) is is pam still Silently just staring at the back of Jim's head because she can't tell him how she really feels. Oh, Pam. Yeah. Pam. Jam. And here's the thing. If you're Michael Scott, though, if the Michael Scott of your office, your boss, is not into co-worker friendships and relationships is a little suspect mm-hmm. or even hostile toward them, that's probably not a good sign about your boss. It's probably a sign that you might have a Michael Scott. Yeah, because right, a lot of the research we read pointed out that, okay, on the surface level, work friendships, they might signal uh, a lack of productivity. Because if you're chatting, if you're grabbing maybe a long lunch, if you're doing this or that, your boss might look at that and say, well, why aren't you working? But according to Gallup, back from 1999, when they did a deep dive into factors that make workers more productive... They found that employers who recognize the role that close friendships play in terms of fostering productivity, they're going to be on the better end of things. They are going to basically, I don't know, be rewarded for helping people foster those friendships because their workers will be happier and therefore more productive versus your kind of stick in the mud boss who, you know, maybe walks into the break room and tells you you're too loud. Because mm. you're laughing at your work spouse. Because your laughter Caroline's too far? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but the question then is whether there's a difference in having friendly, casual acquaintances versus the work bestie or work spouse. Because with casual work friends, I mean, they kind of require less maintenance and are less likely to be a distraction. And they can also be a sounding board foster teamwork and help get stuff done without the sense of obligation associated with off-the-clock best friends. But there's a wrinkle in this. Yeah, so this study by management professors at the University of Pennsylvania and the University of Minnesota found that when they had people complete a task, they either had acquaintances or they had work friends, work spouses, basically, Friends outperformed acquaintances every time. And there's some critical factors in this. Like we said, 
when it comes to leaving a company, like quitting a company, your work spouse is going to make it harder because you feel that sense of loyalty. So those friends were more committed at the start of the project. They showed better communication throughout the project. They offered their teammates positive encouragement every step along the way. But they also, based on the strong foundation of their friendship, didn't feel like they could not offer criticism. If they saw that one of their teammates was about to do something boneheaded, they could say, "I, you know, I don't know if that's the right way to do it. What about this? They could give each other that honest, open feedback. Whereas when they looked at how the acquaintances who were paired up were working, they were across the board held back by a lack of communication. They appeared to prefer working alone. They were less comfortable seeking help and they resisted pointing out when a coworker was about to make a mistake. So it sounds like that friendship helps bolster the work that's being done. Yeah, I mean, and this makes me though think of uh, Myers-Briggs tests and I would be curious to see how people who had those strong workplace friendships might differ in personality traits versus acquaintance type people. Cause there's like a little bit of an acquaintance in me, like my, <laughs> my solo homeschooler oh, yeah. self, um, you know, as a kid has definitely like come along with me as I've aged, but I also know that I need like the, collaboration. Yeah. And, you know, matching feminist coffee mugs. (laughs) I know. We do collaborate. You know, we stop, we collaborate, and we listen. Oh. We do. Love it. We do. And all of this is backed up, uh, again, by that 1999 Gallup study that found that workers who said they had a best friend at work were way more likely to enjoy some pretty cool perks. They were way more likely to report having received praise or recognition for their work in the past week, uh, way more likely to say that someone at work encourages their development. Uh, they were 35% more likely to report coworker commitment to quality. Basically, the positivity and productivity is off the charts for people who say, yes, I have a work spouse slash BFF slash whatever, because I don't think Gallup used the term work spouse. Well, and even to the point, this jumped out, the fact that they were also 27% more likely to report that their company's mission makes them feel their job is important. Because that kind of commitment, you know, and that belief in... The company bottom line, you know, is uh, to me would be a hallmark of an outstanding, outstandingly positive company culture. Yeah. Well, because I mean, hopefully with all the factors we've talked about, hopefully this means that you do have a boss who is open to letting these work relationships flourish. And you do have opportunities for that open and honest collaboration where you can bounce ideas off of each other while you play duck hunt and eat your sushi. Um, You know, because otherwise I feel like a lot of creativity can be stifled if you don't let people have those relationships. I had a job where uh, the boss, it was a very small company and the boss was Super not okay with people talking with each other. Uh, God help you if she found you out of your desk. She was just convinced that anyone who was having a conversation, even if it was to blow off steam or you were just literally on your way back from the bathroom or something, she was just convinced you were like plotting against the company and not working. Oof. Yeah. And so you can imagine like creativity <laughs> definitely hit a ceiling at that place. But anyway, we're going to move on from just talking about my work history and dive a little bit more into work spouses when we come right back from a quick break. 
Let's talk about the qualities of a work spouse that differentiates them from just your average work pal, acquaintance, desk occupier (laughs) who doesn't talk much. Um, Sophie Kleeman over at Mike wrote about this in 2015, noting that uh, according to survey results from Vault.com, 32% of the respondents from a variety of industries reported having a so-called office husband or office wife. And a separate survey of only white-collar workers found that number was about double. Yeah, that's interesting. So white-collar workers, I wonder if that is affected by the focus on more like creative work, applied arts jobs, maybe think office environments that are a little more loosey-goosey? Yeah, I would think that um, in more traditional workplaces where there is more of a career ladder mm-hmm. as opposed to service industry jobs um, or obviously like freelance work, um, that those might facilitate more of those kinds of collaborative relationships because you need those networks in order to get ahead. Yeah, that's true. Um, But yeah, your work spouse is, you know, you you can be friends with a lot of people at work, but your work spouse is your person, the one you click with without any romantic spark. And that's the key because, well, as we'll talk about, that is definitely the key. Yeah, I mean, ask Pam and Jim. That's right. You know? Well, no, and I mean, you know, uh, dude roommate is a straight guy. I'm a straight girl. But because we had literally been friends so long and we had met under circumstances where we were both dating other people, like, we never had a romantic spark between us. Um, a lot of people find that hard to believe, but you know, we really are truly BFFs. And so working together, it was like the perfect work spouse relationship, even though so many psychologists are like, don't do it. So on a related note, then this is interesting. So would you have you guys both gotten pressure from people from time to time of like, why are, are y'all together? Don't you like him? Doesn't he like you? Um, not really, because me- <laughs> because most of the people who know both of us know we would never in a million years date because we are not each other's type at all. <laughs> um, but at at the job where we worked together. Uh, there were a couple of women who did not know us very well. They just knew that we were roommates and that we literally spent like so much time together. And they were like, Oh, you guys are in love with each other. We see the way you react to each other. And it's like, no, I, first of all, stop it. <laughs> stop it. Second of all, uh, I mean, how do you act with your best friend? Right. You know? Yeah. Um, so really, yeah, not, not very much. There, there's never been any of that pressure. Really, because we, he and I are so similar, but so different. But that does become, you know, a, a challenge sometimes if you have like an opposite sex work spouse relationship where, because people even still to this day have such a hard time believing that men and women um, can be friends. Sure. Or that more specifically, like straight men can be legitimately friends with women of really any sexual orientation without having ulterior motives, which is just insulting on a bazillion levels. Um, and I would imagine that that 
might be even more scrutinized in the workplace. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, we've seen studies before where and we'll talk about gender a little bit more in a second. But, you know, we've seen studies that show that men in cross sex straight friendships, men do interpret some signs and symptoms a little differently than women do. Um, and that can lead to a little bit of of getting butt wrecked basically over a situation <laughs> to put it poetically, <laughs> to put it super poetically. Um but I I think that you you can't say it makes for nice headlines to say definitely one way or the other. But you obviously can't say anything definitively because people are all different. People are people. People are people. So we've established then that your work spouse is just like your person. Your you know, person. you you, ha- you do have chemistry like Christina and Meredith on Grey's Anatomy, although they were also BFFs like IRL. So. But I, that was the first thing I thought of was when Christina and Meredith are, are like bonding and they establish that they are people. Well, and this just brought to mind the work spouse relationships on the Mindy Project, because Mindy, played by Mindy Kaling, um, has like an actual romantic relationship with one of the doctors. But Morgan, one of the nurses, is 100 percent Mindy's work wife, although he is not Mindy's like work husband. You know what I mean? Like yeah. she's not that to, she doesn't serve him in any reciprocal kind of way, which uh-huh. adds to the humor of it because Morgan wants to do anything he can to make Mindy's life easier. When in fact I would argue and looking forward to hearing from Mindy project fans on this, I would argue that she, she has another work husband, Peter Prentice, who's like the charming, funnier like another doctor so it's not like the yeah subordinate right. <laughs> level that that morgan is on well i can't confirm or deny because i've never seen it but i would argue that this sounds a lot like veep with selena meyer and gary yes gary without a doubt and granted they had that moment in the closet where they let each other have it gary finally stood up for himself i think that was last season or two seasons ago but yeah absolutely like, gary is devoted to Julia Louis-Dreyfus's Selena Meyer, and she just walks all over him. But they are both aware that, like, she would not be able to succeed at life without Gary whispering in her ear. Gary might be my all-time favorite work wife. He's just the best. He is the best. Just the best. Um, because one thing, one thing Gary's got, you know, that other work spouses have is... Understanding the big picture, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, like Gary is always anticipating what Selena is going to need. Yeah. And it also helps that he has his, his bag. Yeah, his man bag. His man bag. Well, yeah. And and what, so one of the key aspects to someone being a work spouse versus a casual acquaintance is understanding that big picture. You know a lot, obviously, about your work spouse's professional situation, their hopes, their dreams, their failures, their successes. Um, but you also know a lot about their personal life. And so, you know, when he or she walks in and seems upset or happy, you have an idea of what's going on because you do. You see the whole picture. There's also that because you know so much about that person's life and their ups and downs and everything, there's so much trust 
that has to happen there because you can't just be shooting your mouth off about the boss or another coworker that you don't like or, you know, if you have a crush on someone at work or if something's going wrong at home. Can't just be shooting your mouth off about all that stuff to just anybody. And so, you know, when you combine all this stuff, you get a pretty mega supportive, amazing friend. And not surprisingly, there are plenty of benefits associated to having a work spouse. Uh, Ron Friedman over at The Cut uh, wrote about some research on this in December 2014, which found that having a work spouse is correlated with getting sick less often, suffering fewer accidents, changing jobs less often, and having more satisfied customers. Yeah, and and... Again, you because you're committed to this person and your relationship with this person makes you happier, you don't want to let them down. So there's more on the line. Your laziness or your incompetence or your failure doesn't mean you've only let yourself down or your boss down, but it also means you're letting your work spouse down and you don't want to do that because you're so committed. And Friedman also cited research that showed just how important a work spouse is during those really stressful times at work. Uh, people who believe that their coworkers will help them during times of stress and challenge are more likely to overcome that stress and challenge to succeed no matter what's going on at work. They're more able to quickly integrate and adapt to things going on at work and they report better stress management. So just knowing that you have that person who gets you, your person at work, it reduces your stress a little bit because you can just exchange that look and be like, I know. Girl, I hear you <laughs> loud and clear. And there have been so many meetings. You and I have been <laughs> in together, large group meetings where we might be sitting across the table from each other and but just talking, talking loud and clear without saying a word. Talking with those eyeballs. <laughs> um, and you all know Caroline has very expressive eyebrows. <laughs> so, um, but this, this next one though is so crucial. I feel like if you are managing both, you know, a work spouse relationship and a romantic relationship on the side, because one of the big benefits in terms of how your work spouse can make your personal life better is compartmentalizing your the minutia of your job angst and all of the projects that you have to do and all of that stress. If you can just compartmentalize it to your work spouse, you don't take it all home. Yeah. And I mean, I... <laughs> I've always taken a lot home anyway. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, like, you know, your your significant other is your significant other. So you're going to talk to that person. But it doesn't it kind of saves your your SO from having to sit across the table from you at dinner as you're like, no. OK, well, let's see. Betty Sue is a jerk because she does this thing. And then, you know, Jim over here, he does this thing. And so but then they can't, you know, like, don't. Don't stress other people out with, like, the super intimate details of how everyone is connected at work. Like, maybe hit the high points. Well, and to that point, I am real grateful that my husband did a a very kind-hearted job. He was very gentle with me with this of just alerting me that I talk talk about work a lot. I'll go through (laughs) phases where... So do I. I mean, it's all you know, we do. Yeah. It, work is life. I mean, I shoot videos in my home. It is literally there all the time. Yeah. Um, and he's been so helpful and patient and kind with helping me kind of 
separate those two worlds as much as I can. Because I do want to be cognizant of what's going on with his work life. Does he have space to talk to me about stuff that's annoying him? And he even surprised me once. Well, he surprised me so many times. But one time um, I was talking uh, about something at work making me upset. um, And I was like, well... I mean, what's going, what are you mad about? You know, don't you have any, isn't something terrible, you know, at your job? And he was like, yeah, but I, I just don't, I just don't like to talk about that. He's like, I, I just don't, he was like, I, I don't want to even think about that when I'm home. Yeah. You know, boyfriend dog is the same. It's like, oh, how do you do that? Yeah. You just leave it at the office. Well, see, the complicating factor with boyfriend dog is that he works at home. Mm. Um, so I'm, I kind of witness firsthand when something is going south, but he tends to do the same thing of like, I just don't want to talk about it because it just gets my blood pressure up. You know, that's not to say he never like blows up, you know, with work stress or whatever, but he tends to just be like, you know, no, yeah. I'll, I'll just, now I'm focused on, you know, making dinner or now I'm focused on watching TV or now I'm focused on hanging out rather than work. I can't even, and he sees it all over my face because I can't. I literally like getting ready to come into work today. I was uh blowing through the house like really fast and like trying to get ready because I was doing a million different things. And he just saw my face and he's like, this is n- you're just in work land already, aren't you? Yeah. I'm sorry. I can't help it. I mean, I could. I need to. But, you know. Yeah. I should have just come and put it all on you, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm here for, Caroline. <laughs> That's what this podcast on. is for. I'm not heavy. I'm your sister. Uh- but so so you have that uh that personal life benefit for sure um although yeah you should also you should be able to talk, talk to your <laughs> yeah. significant other if something is going wrong at work i shouldn't only have to speak of positive things um but then you also have the benefits of future plans and future success because as adam grant noted Forty percent of startups emerge through founders' friendships. And where do we meet people we know we like and know will work hard? At the bar, Caroline. <laughs> Just kidding. School and work. Yeah. At TJ Maxx. TJ Maxx. Um, hey girl, you look like you can find a deal. Are you a Maxinista? Wow. Let's start a startup. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, we've painted a pretty rosy picture of how important a work spouse is, but there are a couple downsides if you're not being vigilant about your work relationships in general. And one thing we pointed out earlier in that if you are work spouses with someone who is known for something, maybe for being super negative or super hilarious or super amazing, like, All of these things are going to reflect on you, whether it's positive or negative. So watch out if your work spouse is known for being like the office negative Nancy. Yeah. And I have no research to back this up and don't know whether there is any or not. But well, and I wonder, Caroline, if that risk is greater for um, same sex work spouses, because something that I have noticed and somewhat experienced in workplaces is that um, especially if you have a male boss, but female bosses do this too, and your work wife 
is a fellow lady. You're like mutual work wives. You got a work workplace boss and marriage going on that it's almost as if the boss sees you as just one person. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't help sometimes that, I don't know, maybe you both have dark hair. (laughs) You're kind of on the pale end of the spectrum. (laughs) I'm talking a little bit about us. Yes. Um, Because it's, uh, and it hasn't been a negative for us because, I mean, we're, you know, charming work wives. Hopefully we get spicy sometimes as does everyone. (laughs) Um, But there are, there have been those moments where it's like, it's two become one. Like we no, we're, we are still individual, individual people. Yeah. Um, remember that. Yeah. I, and I, I don't know either. I did not come across anything that indicates whether that's true across the board, but I can definitely see, I can definitely see what you're talking about, you know, through personal research. Um, there's also the idea of, of missing out, you know, when you're work besties with someone, there's almost that feeling of like, well, why do I have to talk to anyone else? You know, it was definitely like that at my old job with my work spouses. <laughs> Does that make me a work bigamist? Oh, Cause they were both men. Anyway, you know, it's like, well, I don't, I don't have to mess with like the people who really bug you. There was less incentive for me to try to cross that bridge, uh, build a bridge, cross a bridge. Send up a flare, break out of my silo, mm-hmm. uh, because I had work spouses and they were super funny and supportive and my kind of people. Yeah. Know? Well, and I would bet that one's desire to branch out beyond their uh, spouse silo directly correlates to how long they see themselves in that job. True. You know, and how much they respect and value the um the company itself. Yeah. So if I decide I need to launch a career in like infomercials, like I'm going to need to go like probably meet an infomercial like wife, work wife or something. And that makes me sad. Make sure it's the makeup person. (laughs) (laughs) A little tip I learned from a little show. Uh, we also hinted earlier at the complications that can come when your coworkers are jealous of your relationship or just the complications that can come out of your work spouse being on a different level, higher or lower. Because is it really an egalitarian work spouseitude ship thing if someone's a manager and someone's a subordinate? Yeah. And speaking of coworkers, oh, well, yeah. they look at that and say, well, of course, Virginia just got a raise because <laughs> she's friends with Lindy. Lindy's the boss, by the way, oh, in oh, this okay. scenario. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the the massive spouse woe it has to do with your real spouse. Yeah. I feel like this is the work spouse elephant in the room, which is the concern that your work spouse overshadows your spouse spouse. Yeah. So there's this guy, Willard F. Harley Jr., who I swear to God is quoted in like every work spouse article on the Internet. But he's a psychologist and marriage counselor, and he is majorly concerned with the way that you are interacting with your sexual orientation matching work spouse. Uh, So he wouldn't be as worried about like Matt and me. Like, that's cool. Or you and me. But he'd be Matt being gay, Matt, Matt, Matt being a gay dude, you being a straight lady. Uh, he gets really worried though, especially when it comes to like straight dudes and straight women hanging out. 
because he has seen firsthand as a marriage counselor the he says thousands. I don't know. But he he said he's seen thousands of people who've come to him after they've had those close work relationships evolve into an affair. Because, as he points out, like your work spouse, you call that person a work spouse for a reason. It's a relationship that meets a lot of needs. Like we've said, it's built on trust. You probably share a lot of interests. They get you. They're your person. You click. You share a sense of humor and you probably complain about the same things like Ooh, if you throw like work travel into the mix or like work cocktail parties, oh, watch out. Harley's guidelines are all about like, do not spill your marriage problems to your work, your opposite or your sexual orientation matching work spouse. Don't be spilling marriage woes because that makes it sound like the door's open. Don't get drunk together. Don't travel alone together. Maintain those boundaries. Talk about your spouse in a positive way. Make sure that your spouse, your real life spouse is included in things so that he or she does not feel excluded because you don't want to make it seem like you have some sort of secret clandestine relationship going on. Well, and in terms of not spilling your marriage problems to someone you might potentially want to have sex with, yeah. because that's basically what the whole like uh, sexual orientation matching is, um, I think is is good advice all around, whether you're in a a work situation or not, because it's like. Just be careful if you are complaining about, like, if you hear yourself complaining about the person that you are with to someone who could, by contrast, start to look a little shinier in your eyes, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Is anybody out there watching uh, Man Seeking Woman? It's on FXX. on like one of the sub FX channels and there's literally a whole episode about that where there's this like beautiful charming girl at work and she is close friends with the lead guy and he's just waiting he's just waiting to slip in there and she starts complaining about her boyfriend who turns out to literally be Jesus uh, played by Fred Armisen which is ironic Um, and she complains about him and he's like I've got a shot and he goes for it and falls on his face it's the same thing like just don't don't leave the goal yeah. <laughs> unattended. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's that also requires you as the complainer, I think, maybe checking yourself. Yeah. Checking your motivations. What's going on? Maybe considering whether there is someone who would be healthier. Like a therapist. To talk to. Yeah. Or even just like a friend who might not have any vested interest. Yeah. At all. Um, I like that this episode just became us giving like marriage advice. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. So expect your bill in the mail anytime. Thanks to stamps.com. <laughs> but all right. So we have to get into gender, right? I mean, we're sminty and we've kind of danced around the whole gender topic. Uh, this is coming from a couple different sources. Psychology Today, uh, the Comparably Organization, European Business Review. But Work friendships tend to have a couple different types of rewards. You've got the socio-emotional rewards, which is basically you're sharing pleasure in experiences, and then instrumental rewards, which have to do with exchanging favors. And again, we're going to talk in like pretty stereotypical broad brush terms, but for the most part, women 
are more likely to enjoy the socio-emotional rewards of forming work friendships, while men are more likely to participate in those instrumental reward friendships. And uh, to break this down a little bit, a study done by Comparably asked users in tech specifically whether they had a mentor and whether they had a best friend at work. And women were way more likely at all levels of the job to say, Yes, I have a mentor. I've formed a relationship with someone in that regard. And yes, I have a best friend at work. And that has a lot to do with the way that researchers say women form friendships with one another. So Lisa Braitman, who's a psychotherapist, told Refinery29 that women are more likely to share personal details at work, which equates to a whole load of lady intimacy, basically. And that is basically the foundation of friendship, right? You're sharing stuff about yourself. And that is definitely a quick way to form a work friendship, especially a work best friendship. And because women are more likely to do this than men are, apparently, that makes that study result make sense that women are therefore more likely to have a bestie at work or a mentor that they formed a close relationship with. Well, and we're also likelier to seek that kind of emotional support when we are stressed at work and to both receive and provide more emotional social support than men in times of work-related unhappiness or distress. And along those same lines, women tend to invest more in maintaining those friendships, calling friends regularly, meeting more frequently, Always BG chatting the gifts back and forth. (laughs) Yeah. And it's the thing that you said about supporting each other, being more likely to support each other in stressful times at work that ties back to the stuff we mentioned earlier about how those work spouseships are based on a huge amount of trust. You know, and how your work satisfaction and therefore your work productivity is based on knowing that you have someone behind you who's going to support you. You know that you have someone to talk to, someone who's going to believe what you're saying and support what you're doing. But when it comes to men at work, again, disclaimer, this is all very general. But when it comes to men at work, generally their friendships can be described as those instrumental or transactional friendships. They tend to be organized around those shared interests and activities or the exchange of tangible rewards and favors and be action-oriented rather than person-oriented. Hence, everybody's going out to play golf or whatever. Or you you go to the, the, the box at the football game. Yeah. Yeah, or whatever the equivalent is, you guys are all playing Duck Hunt together. It's just going to keep, it's the, Duck Hunt is the mascot of this episode. I'm fine with that. Or sushi, just a slab of sushi. And one recent study that I'm like, uh, okay, one recent study said that it's possible that male coworkers go out drinking together more because it lowers all of their like pent up masculine emotions. And I have to raise an eyebrow at that because that sounds very like, I don't know. I went out drinking with coworkers quite a bit, and it was always mixed gender groups. Yeah, it's just to jobs blow off steam. I'm curious what exact inhibitions they're referring to. I think they're referring to those like socio emotional. Oh, of getting beyond the like getting beyond like the, the let's go out sports and, stats. Yeah, to being like you know what I'm actually pretty vulnerable <laughs> and I uh, enjoy art. I enjoy art, and also I'm scared about where my career is going. 
And I was really interested, too, in this this uh, socioeconomic note about male work friendships. Uh, this one study cited was saying that working class or blue collar guys at work tend to express that transactional nature of friendship with material goods and services like, hey, I'll exchange wrenches with you. Oh, they're exchanging wrenches. Um, that's actually a symbol of marriage in some societies. <laughs> Uh, while middle class or white collar dudes were more likely to share those leisure activities like going golfing or going to a baseball game. But I want to go back to one thing before we um, start to wrap up in terms of the finding that work women's work friendships tend to center around the socio emotional uh, rewards, just having the pleasure and the shared experiences Whereas men's work relationships um, are uh, more favor based, you kind of go out to get ahead. Mm-hmm. And I think that I've brought this exact same scenario up on a previous podcast, um, but clearly it's just stuck in my mind because um, it reminds me of a tweet that we received a while back from a young woman who wants to get ahead and socialize, but she can't go out for drinks because it's all guys at her office and they never directly invite her. And she feel feels like she can't go because she would, you know, like kill the all guy vibe. Um, so I wonder if it is so much a his and hers like, oh, we just have this. You know, our socio-emotional or, rewards. Or is is that the ceiling? Is that like all we can really access? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely heard of women like taking golf lessons so that they can participate in like the upper management boys club that is the golf outings uh, where business is discussed on, on the green. But uh, I, I, that's a really good point. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, it could be like, yeah, it could be that women genuinely are appreciating these types of relationships and men are appreciating those types of relationships. But if you can't even get an invite to one or the other. Right. Because that kind of after hours networking is where a lot of promotions yeah. come from. Yeah. And if you can't even get in the bar. Or if you do get in the bar, it's really awkward because you have to play the whole like, oh, my God, you guys are here. Oh, so weird. I'm here, too. I alone, not because I'm sad. Um, ah. I just wanted. Oh, can I join you? You know, <laughs> and your palms are sweating. So the glass slips out of your hand and it's just a disaster. It shatters and you cut your leg and you've got to go to the hospital and then you miss work. And, and then they fire you. Yeah. See, see what networking brings you. Exactly. That's what networking felt like when I was unemployed. It's true. But all of that to say that I hope that workplaces become more just cognizant of those unnecessary hangups that we have and really prejudices toward men and women or people who match sexual orientations, as Dr. Harvey put it, um, of those people forming relationships, like going to one-on-one lunch together, going mm-hmm. out for drinks one-on-one if they need to. Because I think, yeah, like in group settings, totally fine. Not a big deal. But as soon as you have after hours time with your work husband. And suddenly eyebrows are raised. Yeah. Yeah. But hopefully if you have formed 
if if you are a straight lady and a straight guy, um, I mean, hopefully you've you followed the guidelines for work spouseship, and you guys do have a very open, honest relationship, and your significant others and your coworkers are aware that like. No, nothing's going on. And that it doesn't become a situation where everything is blown out of proportion because people are just gossiping about you. Right. Like, look at look at them spending all of that time together. And if you are consistently hanging out outside of work hours with <laughs> with that work spouse, when you also have a spouse, it might be a good idea to just make sure that Bring them all, all the spouses are together. Yeah. You know, just just ease everyone's minds. Um but how do you even get to that point? You know, how how do you do you get down on one like to get a to get a work spouse? Do I need to go get a ring? Get down on one <laughs> knee? Save up two months salary? You get a little twist tie, you put it on the pointer finger. Uh-huh. Um that's that's the work spouse finger. Ah, the pointer, the pointer finger. finger, yeah. Um, well, researchers basically across the board are like, you know, there are certain ways that friendships, no matter what the setting, are formed. Here's a quick guide. I love it. Like, become work spouses in 45 minutes or less. And that's basically to be vulnerable. Because if you want to form a close bestie ship or friendship at work, you're not going to get there by just talking about the weather. So if you like somebody at work and you think you guys could be good friends, allies, could trust each other and help each other. Um, it's swapping those personal stories. It's work spouseships are formed on the basis of knowing so much about each other and still supporting each other. It's kind of like it all ties in back to uh, Ann Friedman's shine theory about supporting your powerful besties and not being intimidated by them. And Robert Epstein, who's at the American Institute for Behavioral Research and Technology, says, quote, vulnerability is the key to emotional bonding without which relationships tend to feel superficial and meaningless. That doesn't mean you need to be talking about all your issues like at work in front of everyone. But when you do have those closer one on one relationships, don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. Be vulnerable without oversharing. Right. You know, maybe hold off on talking about your romantic relationships and also be mindful of personal space. Maybe your hopeful work spouse to be, you know, doesn't need to know about your menstrual cycle yet 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 yeah ease that in and then of course avoid gossip at first when you're start when you're embarking on a new work marriage because as we discussed about my (laughs) earlier about my super awful co-worker at my first job that negativity just breeds more negativity. And if people get the impression that they can't trust you to, because all you're going to do is talk smack about them behind their backs, like, what's the point of having a work spouse if everybody else hates you? Yeah. Yeah. You need to just find another job, I think, at that point. Yeah. yeah if all you can do is literally say horrible things about each other or other people at work, that probably just means you're unhappy in your job. Go yeah. do something else. Yeah. Well, and that does get us to one thing that we haven't directly addressed, which is the work spouse divorce, you know, because yeah, you can just like friendships can get toxic and you gotta let them go. Similar thing can happen, especially in the workplace because I mean, you have, you've got a lot more on the line. Yeah. So I'm curious to hear from listeners who have work spouses. And if anyone 
is willing to share with us going through kind of the work spouse divorce. Mm. You know, did you finally have to call it? Or was it like a work spouse slow fade? Yeah. Did one of you get a new job and the friendship didn't continue? Yeah. All these relationships are so like, they seem so sterile, you know, from the outside. But, um, when you really start paying attention to them, they're full of matching feminist mugs. They are. They are. And uh, lots of games of duck hunt and platters of sushi. So much sushi. When they're at their best. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, so please share all your work wife, work husband, work spouse. Do you, or, and also, do you have a preferred uh, title for that? Do you do not call your person your your work spouse? Um, let, let us know all the deets. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. You can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now. Well, I've got a message here from Adrell uh, from our episode where we talked to Anne-Marie Slaughter about caregiving. Uh, she says this is an extremely important topic, and I'm so glad that it's finally being brought to the forefront. Up until recently, I never fully appreciated how important having quality-free childcare has been to my own success. I got pregnant my sophomore year of college. For the first year of my son's life, it was a struggle trying to figure out how to work, go to school, and pay for daycare. I remember having to choose between staying home with a sick one-year-old and going to work. I also remember being fired because of choosing to stay home with my sick one-year-old. But my story does have a happy ending. When my son was two, I took a job working at a daycare. The pay sucked, but he could go to daycare for free, and that was a tremendous help. I was able to save my money and spend it on important things like rent and food. Having childcare also allowed me to finish my undergraduate degree, and it also helped me to go on to complete my master's as well. I owe a lot of my success to having free childcare. If it were not for that, I do not know where my son and I would be. No one should ever have to choose between something basic like feeding their family or affording their care. Yet sadly, this happens every day. Care is a basic human right that everyone should have access to. And I agree. Here, here. Thanks for your letter. Well, I have a letter here from Amelia, who writes, First, I love your work and fierce feminism. I've learned quite a few new things from your podcast, and listening is always a treat. Well, thank you, Amelia. Secondly, the recent episode with Anne-Marie Slaughter really hit home for me. I'm 32 and stuck between having a baby and going to grad school. I have so many questions and self-doubts about any avenue I pursue. Do I head to grad school knowing I'll be 36 when I have my first baby? Do I put off grad school so I can utilize my young-ish eggs? Or do I strap on my cape and do both at the same time? All my choices are daunting, and most professional women I've asked don't have any answers either. I have asked several of my professors who have small children what they suggest, and I've heard everything from, just have a baby now, you're not getting any younger, to, there's really no good time to have kids. The worst and most memorable piece of advice I got was, well, at least your fiancé is done with his degree. What the heck is a gal supposed to say to that? So, while your interview with Ms. Slaughter did not necessarily assuage any of my worries, I am relieved to know that there are strong women willing to have these conversations and fight for a level of equality which is long overdue. While things may not change overnight, I'm hopeful that our generation may be the last to know this inequality. Anne-Marie Slaughter is a badass, and so are you. Please keep up the great work. 
Well, you know what, Amelia? You're a badass as well. And those are such daunting questions that I have a feeling uh, so many listeners can relate to. As a woman in my 30s, I think... I think similar things as well. Um, honestly, it's just it's just weird having ovaries sometimes. <laughs> just knowing they're sitting in there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's true. Um, but yeah, I, I also am, am really excited that Anne Marie Slaughter, uh, Ai-jen Poo, and other amazing people are working for that equality that we all need. So with that, keep sending your letters. Momstuff at howstuffworks dot com is our email address. And for links to all of our social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts with our sources, so you can learn more about Orc Wives, head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 